Please be seated. And so now I invite the children forward. You know, do we have any here today? You know? We have one. We scared them away, Kimmy. We scared them away. Okay, thanks, Beth. It's great to have you guys. All right, today we heard a real creepy passage in Ezekiel, all right? Because it is said that the Lord took Ezekiel away in the spirit, meaning he had a vision. No one else was seeing this vision. And he took him away, and he was in a, got brought to a valley, and it was full of dry bones. These bones aren't newly fresh. They've been dead for years. Okay? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so any kids or any middle schoolers, and I'll include the high schoolers in here too, you know, put your phones away. Take your earbuds out. Listen to the word of the Lord with us. Because he has a message for each and every one of us today that will change your life. All right? Because as you go back to school, as you go back to work, even if you're retired, you're just as busy as we are, just in a different way. Amen? Yeah, thank you, older people. You are. You know, we're all busy. But we have a calling upon us. And the Lord wants us to get this. So, for those of you who get this, we went on the God hunt. I don't know how many families did the God hunt last week. I hope you did. It's a useful exercise for all of us. How did God speak to me? And here, on pages 6 and 7 of your bulletin, children's bulletin, you will notice it says, Today I learned that God, God is speaking to us through his word, through the songs we sing, through receiving the Lord's Supper. He speaks to us. He wants to meet us at our point of need as God's people today. All right? Because we have a calling. And so I would encourage you, if the God of the universe is speaking to you, maybe perhaps it's important enough to write it down. So that's why I told our young people, get off your phone, take your earbuds out, listen together with us as a family, and write it down. You also have a, a, these books here that Miss Kim put there. These are your take-home books. We're cleaning out the closets just like we cleaned out Annie Sherman's closet. We're getting really good at it. All right? There's stuff we don't need in the closets downstairs, and so you can take this home, all right? This is for you to take and listen to the Word of the Lord and color activity page. And then you have crayons and a clipboard. You can just leave all that and the pencil right there. So let us pray, and let's ask the Lord to move in us today. Lord, we thank you for this great passage. We thank you that you resurrect lives. And we pray, Lord, as we come together as a church family to hear your word, that you be glorified in each and every one of us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as our families are going back, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 37. Little review for those of you perhaps who are unfamiliar with this passage. Ezekiel was a prophet in Babylon. 
in a period of exile. That psalm we prayed was during this time. Did you hear the yearning as we prayed the psalm together, responding to the Ezekiel reading? It's powerful. Okay? So why are the Israelites in Babylon? Well, God had originally given Israelites everything they needed to live. And when God brought Israel together, he said, everything I'm giving you as a gift, your land, your national identity, your freedom, I'm giving it to you. But if you turn away, you're going to lose it. And they did turn away, and they lost everything. So here they are in 587, Babylon invaded Israel, raised it to the ground, and they were taken into exile with no hope for a future. And yet, in chapter 37 of Ezekiel, God gives Ezekiel a picture of resurrection that was not only a hope and a power for them, but it's a hope and a power for us. As I mentioned at the welcome, it's Faith and Work Sunday, and some of us work in very challenging areas. And I hope that for those who are in those challenging places that you are greatly encouraged. And for those of you who are in not-so-challenging places, are all I pray we're all encouraged with the hope of resurrection today. Because what we have is hope in a dark place, and empowerment for life today. First, we have a power for hope. Verse 11, notice uh, God says to Ezekiel that these bones are the whole house of Israel. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we're cut off. These are the Israelites talking. They're admitting it, that they're cut off from the love of God. The vision of dry bones is a whole valley filled with skeletons scattered everywhere. They're not nice and neatly together. They're all mingled together all over this place. As a picture of how Israel thought of themselves. Our bones are dried up. They've been taken from their land. They were placed in a dominant culture, much bigger than they are, more politically powerful and military powerful than they are. And they were scattered, and therefore they knew that within a few generations, the Jews would be gone, erased from the face of the planet. They were on their way to death as a nation. And more than that, their hope was dying. Oh, they still had hope. They remembered in Genesis chapter 12, when God said, through your descendants, I will bless all the nations of the earth. They knew that somehow, even in the midst of this, salvation of the world was going to come to the world through them. That was their purpose in life and hope. That's how they maintained their national identity. But it's gone now. They weren't dead as a nation, but they were virtually dead. And of course, in verse 11, when it says we're cut off, that's covenant curse language. God spoke to Moses at Sinai and said, if you obey my covenant, if you obey my laws, I'll bless you. But if you disobey, you'll be cut off. It's the penalty for saying to God, oh, I'll be a, I'll be a follower of you, Lord, but I'll do it my way. 
Because that's what they did. To be cut off means to die. It means to be cut off from hope, future. Israel, essentially as a nation, was virtually dead as they're in exile. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's a very good historical lecture, Gene, but what does this all have to do with me on Labor Day weekend? Everything. Everything. Because the Bible says this is a bigger exile that each and every one of us take part in. Israel's exile was just a picture of human exile, and it goes all the way back to Genesis where Adam and Eve turned from God saying, we'll do it our way, thank you very much. They represented the entire human race. And therefore, they were exiled from the garden. And what was in the middle of the garden? The tree of life. In other words, the Bible says we were not meant to die. And deep in your heart, you know that's true. We're not meant to die. Death is unnatural. Death is wrong. We don't pass away. We die. We tend to live our lives as if we're not going to die. And yet, whenever we're in a situation where we admit the fact that death is inevitable, we admit the fact that death is imminent, life gets sobering. And you have a sense that there's something wrong The whole human race is in exile. We're in exile from our true home, our true selves, our true nature. And as a result, all of us, therefore, are in an ultimate exile. All of us face death, and because of that, death can make our lives, it can make our lives hopeless and meaningless. Viktor Frankl was a doctor in the 1930s when he got hauled away in Germany to a concentration camp as a Jew. He survived that experience, and he wrote about that experience in Man's Search for Meaning. He noticed that people responded to the death around them in three different ways. One way was to become evil and just be bad, survive at any cost, betray other people, exploit other people, become an informant for the Nazis. That was the way one group did. Another group responded to the death by just giving up, just withering and dying. He he noticed that they did that. They would go to sleep at night and they wouldn't wake up in the morning. They became despondent. A third group, however, was rather heroic. They faced every day with a new possibility, even in the death camp. They... They made sacrifices. They had courage. And the difference between them came down to where was your hope? If you had a hope or a meaning founded in the things and stuff of this life and you met such suffering, most people didn't survive. If you lived for money, family, status, relationships, And when those were all taken away, hope was gone. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if we as Christians have a hope for only for this life, we are of all people most miserable. So Frankel re- realized that death being inevitable can take our hope away if we let it. And what that means is that we're all in exile. We're not meant to die. And as a result, whereas Israel's exile was a national exile, they were still alive, but they were virtually dead. And you and I are, are physically alive, right? We're physically alive. We all have a pulse. But virtually, we can be dead too. Because death is coming for us sooner or later. And it will take out your hope unless you have a hope that transcends death. So what did God give to the Israelites? Ezekiel 37, verse 7. The bones came together, clink, 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 clink. That's the way it's described. Can you imagine what the sound would have been? Rattling of the bones all coming together. And then you have a bunch of skeletons just standing there looking at you. Then the ligaments and the muscles all come together and they're just zombies. And then they come together. Verse 9, let us bring the four winds, which is the breath of God. You bring the Spirit, the Holy Spirit breathes on these dead bodies and they come to life. It's a metaphor. A metaphor is a figure of speech, boys and girls. That describes one thing when used to describe another. It's a metaphor for return from exile. And what God is saying is, you're virtually dead as a nation, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to give you back your hope. And God did eventually bring them back out of exile. Yet think about something. As great as that was for the Israelites to escape the national exile and national death, They were still in exile virtually. Why? Because they're human. They have a bigger problem that we all have. They hadn't escaped physical death. They haven't escaped the ultimate exile. Therefore, there was an even greater return from exile and a greater escape to death that Ezekiel and the Israelites and we need. And we need it to happen. And it did. John chapter 20. The disciples are gathered in the upper room, scared to death. And Jesus appears to them. And what does he do? He breathed on them. Remember we talked about that? Easter Sunday? That's weird. Receive the Holy Spirit, he says. What's that about? Ezekiel 37. It's right here. Is Jesus Christ saying, I'm about to lead you from the ultimate exile to return. I'm about to give you out of the ultimate problem, get you out of that ultimate problem, out of death itself. If you trust in me alone, if you believe in me that I was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead. That's ultimate hope. There's a hope that any suffering we endure 
can't take away from that. Do you see that? This is industrial strength hope. There's nothing that the world can take away from that kind of hope. Can't erase it. No wonder Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 mocked death with the song we sing on Easter Sunday. Oh, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? He mocks it. Bring it on. If you try to diminish me now that I have the Holy Spirit in me, now that Jesus Christ is breathing life into me, you'll only enhance me. If you try to lay me low, I'll only get higher. If you try to destroy me, you'll only recreate into me something more glorious than you can ever imagine. George Herbert, that great poet of the 17th century, wrote this great phrase. He said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes him just a gardener. Thou shalt only make me better than before. Do you see this hope, friends? Do you have this hope? Please don't buy the suburban American spiritual narrative. Disney says it. You know, death is okay. We're going to die and it'll be better somehow, someday. We're in the circle of life. You know, you die, you become fertilizer, and the antelope come along and eat the flowers that you sprout from your dead carcass. It's just the purpose of life. It's all good, right? Simba? No, not at all. That's not good. Tell yourself that and see if that gets you through the death camp. See, Disney's wrong, but God gives us hope. Okay, so now that's the hope we have in Christ. How do you get this hope, right? Wouldn't you like to have this at the very center of your life? How do you get it? You're sitting there, you're listening, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's interesting. How do I get that in my life so that it really becomes with some power and conviction? Well, there's three things that this text tells us how we can get it. And now as we go into a dark place of a valley of dry bones of my workplace, I can be salt and light, all right? First, you have to hear the truth. Second, you need to be born again. And third, you have to trust in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's look at this. First, you have to hear the truth. What did Ezekiel do? God asked him to do something. Did he say, make the sign of the cross over them, the bones? Snap your fingers. Abracadabra, wake up, boys. No, what did he say? Prophesy. In other words, preach. When you hear prophesy, preach, it's the same thing. Because that's what prophets do. They preached the truth whether the people believed it or not. And many ministers know about this experience when you think about it. All people, all preachers know what it's like to preach to a certain segment of the population that just doesn't get it. Because most of you look at me like, yes. There's always some that look at me like my basset hound. (laughs) 
God says, I want you to preach the word of God to dry bones. This is the one way of saying, which is the word of God, which is the vehicle for getting this hope in your life. Don't just sit there and say, zap me, God, so I can be a Superman Christian. It doesn't work that way. You keep coming week by week, drip by drip, and believe the word of God as you hear the word of God. We have a culture in which the world says, oh, you, you're so narrow-minded, you Christians. You, you say we have to believe the truth. My religion gives me peace and joy in my private little fertilizer world. But what you believe, it's all symbolic. You know that, right? Don't take it literally. Don't say Jesus Christ is actually who he says he is, the son of God who came into the world and he was physically raised from the dead. Yeah, maybe he was, but, you know, it's spiritual. It's a symbol. Because if you believe that truth, it's so divisive to our culture. We're about to get in a civil war. And you're the problem. That divides people. It's not good. Well, let's just have a kind of uh, conversation about that. A general spirituality. Let's see how that works. Let's go to first century Rome, where 50% of the population is enslaved in poverty. And you give them that suburban version of American spirituality. You know, let's not talk about a resurrection. It's just symbolic. It's the circle of life. And life's going to get better somehow, some way. Just hold on. Do you think the slaves and the poor of the Roman Empire say, wow, that changes my life? No. They're going to say, get out of my face. The early Christian preachers didn't do that. They came and proclaimed what we proclaimed 2,000 years later, that Jesus came, went right into the belly of death and exploded death and perfect righteousness. He broke the back of death and was raised from the dead because death couldn't hold him. Now, if he breathes life into you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be raised from the dead in this life with a newness of life, and in the future, you'll get a new body, a future world where all suffering and death are taken away. That's the truth. You say that to the slaves and the poor of first century Rome? They said, that's hopeful. And they came to faith in droves. It has to be true. Not just some sentimental type of fluff. So first you have to hear that it happened and truly believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Secondly, you need to be born again. You actually have to have the Spirit of God come into you. That's what the breathing means. And in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, he gets really into the more detail about what it means for the Spirit to go into you. When he says, I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, you must be born again. 
of water and the Spirit, that's the same language as Ezekiel 36 and 37. Do you see that? Basically what this means is when you trust in Christ, that's what believe means. I'm all in on him. I believe not only intellectually, but with all of my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, and my spirit. I will be physically resurrected, and I'll be spiritually resurrected right now. That's what the new birth is. It means when you say, I believe, there's a spiritual resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3 says, we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Isn't that amazing? When my kids were little, I was a lot stronger than I am. I was confessing to Kim, I'm a 90-pound weakling now. Because when I was little, I, when my kids were little, I swear when they were three and four and they liked it, we'd go to the pool and I would launch them. I would take them in that in the deep end and go whoosh and throw them up as high as that ceiling. And they were like, yeah. And they would land in the water and come up and go, again, daddy, again. You bet. Zach does this with Idabel even now. It's just so much fun to watch. My friends, in Jesus Christ, you are thrown into a pool of hope. Just washed all over you. That's how it works in the suffering of our lives. You get a status when you know God loves you. It's more important than any human status that can be conferred upon you. Your heavenly Father calls you his own. You're his. You get an approval and a love that's more important than anybody else's love. You get a wealth and a security that's more important than any worldly wealth and security can give you. And that's what enables you to face the suffering of our day. You have to hear the truth. You have to be born again into this. And how are you born again? You believe the good news of Jesus Christ. There are two things here in the gospel of Ezekiel. If you believe the good news, first you have to see that you're a rebel, that you want to do even the Christian life your own way, not God's way. Admit it. No, we are called once again to be saved by grace, by sheer grace. And notice what the text teaches you and me. We're dry bones. We're not just a little sick, brothers and sisters. We're dead. You're either dead or alive. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. There's absolutely no way we can merit our salvation. There's nothing we can do. We just have to see it, receive it by sheer grace. If there's any image throughout the whole scripture that connects the Bible to that, it's this one. Connecting dry bones, dead in our trespasses and sins. So the first part of believing the good news of Christ, believing the gospel, is just believing that, that I'm a sinner. You can't just say, well, I believe in the Lord. Show me what I have to do in order to be right and put myself right with you. You, you, you don't get it. That's not what this is about. You're missing the point of the gospel. Point one is you're dead. There's nothing you can do. You can only receive this gift of grace. The second point of the gospel, 
Remember, verse 11 says we're cut off, and they deserved it, and yet God sends them back. Well, that's interesting. Why did he send them back and reward them when they, were, they had already sinned? They, hadn't they discerned to be cut off? Yes. They were cut off. You and I deserve to be cut off. What happened? What Jesus Christ came to do, he came and he was cut off in our place so he could be received into our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe the resurrection without connecting to the cross will not change your life and put hope in you? Because it will. It's an amazing miracle, but you have to see what it points to. The fact that Jesus Christ died in your place, he was cut off from the land of living for you. And if you see he did that and that moves you and that amazes you, and you see that's the basis for God accepting you by free grace, and you will put that, God will put that hope in there and will enable you to face anything. That crabby coworker of yours. Notice verse 11 I will put my spirit in you and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. All the way through here it says, I'll bring you back from exile. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Well, didn't they already know he was the Lord? Oddly, yeah, they did. But because of the exile and because of their deliverance from exile... They saw something about who he was in his glory that they never would have known had they not endured the exile. You say, I, 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 isn't exile bad? Yes. It should have never happened. Yeah, right, no, it never should have happened. And it was very bad because of their sin. Yeah, but because of the exile, they will know God in a way that they had never known him before. You know, the principle is, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, your afflictions are preparing you for a weight of glory. I mean, 300 pounds squats weight of glory. When Jesus Christ appeared in the upper room, you could still see the nail scars in his hands. Well, that's weird. It's a resurrected body. Why are the nail scars still there? Because God is so triumphant over every evil that every scar you incur in this life will only make your eventual joy and glory in the resurrection even greater. The resurrection doesn't only give us hope eventually for the future. It gives you hope to handle your scars right now. So you ask me, I don't understand why God put this on me. Why did God make me do, go through this suffering that I'm going through? I don't know. I wish I did, but I don't. But I do know this. God is going to say to you, I'm going to redeem all your scars so every bad thing that happens to you will only make your eventual glory greater. The resurrection can redeem your scars now. And someday we'll have all our scars and we can look at them and realize to what degree it made the glory and joy of God eventually greater than ever.
I don't understand how all that works. <laughs> but you can see it here in Ezekiel. I enjoy God better for the bad things that have happened to me. Don't you? He's still with us. He's working in and through us. Don't actually look at the things that are really bad you've actually done that you never should have done. And yet if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't have much of the wisdom you have right now. Much of the joy you have, even though you've had some scars. You wouldn't be able to help the people you've helped because of some of those scars. How does that work? Because God's resurrected power is going to triumph over all the evil and all the sins so much that even the bad things you've done and even the bad things that have happened to you will somehow be taken up into it and it will make the eventual glory even greater. That's the hope we have. And we'll have it today, tomorrow, and into the future. And that's the hope we take with us when we go back to work on Tuesday, where we live, where we play, and where we work. Students, you take this with you into the classroom. Adults, we take this with us into the workplace. Retirees, you take this with you to the doctor's office. Everybody's got doctor's appointments these days. What is up with you people, you know? I do too. You see, your address is sovereignly appointed by God. Where you work, where you play, and where you live. There's no accident about it. So what in the world are you afraid of? Pick your head up. You're a child of the king. And don't make your own rules and do it your way. And don't cower and give up. No, be heroic and surrender every minute, every hour, of every day, of every month, and every year till he comes home where he will take us Let's take that good news because that's the hope we have. And then we can get power for living by hearing the truth, being born again, and believing the good news of Jesus Christ. Take that to work on Tuesday and have a great Labor Day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have called us your own. We're grateful that we can possess these resurrected lives and if there be anybody in the sound of my voice whose eyes have been opened today, hearts have been made flesh, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would do an amazing work in each and every one of us as we surrender our lives to you. We confess that we're sinners and we turn to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to Surrender every aspect of our lives unto you, for we know by doing so we can live an abundant life, fulfilling life. Help us to learn day by day that we are set apart by grace, Lord. That it's not about being perfect, it's about being your child. Empowered by this good news that we are your child. 
May we secure that in greater measure than ever before, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.